0: So welcome back to Mondo's Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Bell, and we're talking everything recovery here during the month of September, recovery month. I have Tara Coleman um, from Hoy Park, who's going to come in and talk to us a little bit about our service, Hoy Park, which is a wonderful service, which I use a lot in my own work. Um, I'm working with participants, and um, I suppose she's going to give you the breakdown of how her service works and how it impacts on people in recovery. So you're very welcome, Tara. Thanks, Jimmy. If you want to just start off with just saying a little bit about yourself and your work and what you do at the moment.
1: Yeah, so um, I work in High Park, which is a residential treatment center. I'm there just just about four years, so I'm one of the, the kind of project workers there. So uh, I suppose the 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 crux of my work really is I work with people individually one to one work so it's kind of you know counselling therapy type of stuff there and then I do a lot of group work as well, um so it, it, I suppose it really is working with the clients that's that's my bread and butter really.
0: Okay, cool. And what about yourself? How long have you been working in? the recovery side of things?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of, it's funny, before I was working in Hyde Park, I used to work with young people. So I was a youth worker, like in a past life. Um, so Like yourself? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 so it was young people I I start working with. But I was always kind of, I always found myself being really interested in the whole kind of, you know, drug education. I do a lot of that type of stuff. And I found myself, we used to do kind of like street work, outreach work. And I found that I was particularly drawn always to kind of, Uh, young people and drug use and stuff so um so i that's kind of that's the kind of how i ended up getting into this work i also started with i i do some art therapy as well kind of used to work with young people in that way because they can find it difficult to kind of talk about things Mm. so I found that art really helped them and then I uh, chanced my arm and got in touch with Merchants Key their aftercare services and said I'd like to facilitate some art therapy with some of their clients and they 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 Uh, gave me a bit of a trial run and that kind of opened the door to me kind of getting involved in like the addiction services now so uh, from that then I ended up in now in in High Park working with addiction kind of full-time and adults as well actually which I'll I'll be honest it's kind of I enjoyed working with young people when I was young do you know what I mean yeah yeah, but I think that it's like I've got to a place now that I'm older myself and I suppose I really enjoy working with with adults really as well
0: so yeah, yeah. so uh, self uh, identification for me because I was a youth worker an outreach worker yeah. and I always found myself gravitating towards the people who struggled with substance problems yeah you know, that's so, interesting yeah the same what happened was in my job they were looking for a youth substance worker and I went for the role and then obviously it kicked off as well yeah so quite it, similar. It,
1: it's funny that's exactly what happened to me actually yeah. so I was like a youth worker yeah. and then they were looking for somebody to be the, like the drugs education worker or whatever yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. then that's like literally it's the, the, it seems to be we went along the same path there.
0: Yeah. yeah. So somebody who wanted to go to, let's say, to your treatment service, what is the criteria they'd have to meet for that?
1: Yeah. So it's it's like you know we always kind of say that you know we're a little bit further down the river. Uh, In terms that people are, they're initially kind of thinking of kind of, I think, making a change in terms of their drug and alcohol use and stuff. So we would be part of the criteria. Jamie is one is that they need to be drug and alcohol free for like two, three weeks. We, We we look for for urine's around that type of stuff. Um. uh So so I know that that can be quite difficult for a lot of people in. Uh, addiction so very often people might ring up our service and we will refer them on to kind of more appropriate service if they're still kind of inactive addiction or they're basically just looking to kind of reduce their use so i suppose that's one of the the, the first criteria as well the second one is they, they they need to be kind of open to our place is three and a half months it's mm. a long time like mm. for, you know it's, it's a long time and it's a big commitment so i suppose in some ways they need to be kind of ready to really kind of take that that on um so uh leaving friends and family and stuff so it's a really big commitment so that that's something else other people need to consider there's all those little small bits and pieces around like uh I think there was even stuff I'm going to say you needed to have your COVID vaccine I don't even know if that's still a thing but that yeah, was part is, of yeah. the criteria as well you know
0: yeah you still need it yeah. <laughs> you do, you do? yeah because I have only referred someone recently and yeah, they so still the, the, need
1: there, there is those bits oh. and pieces around there's, there's also we have supports for people when they're kind of ready as well so we have a, a weekly um, pre-entry group um, it, it, it's online but it gives people the opportunity to check in weekly uh, see how they're getting on kind of any goals that they can set for themselves as well and if they're struggling as well you know Mm -hmm. it's not a thing a lot of people will have a lapse or whatever that might be so it's really about exploring what is going on for them and then kind of uh, helping them put other kind of supports in place that might prevent that Mm -hmm. but the big one really is I know that we are you need to be drug and alcohol free for a small period of time before Mm. you come into workplace and you know I'd imagine that for some of your listeners they might be kind of saying that I know for some people that just like isn't doesn't seem possible for a lot of people it's like you know to be able to imagine myself being drug and alcohol free whatever your drug choice might be for for two or three weeks just seems such a such a huge task for a lot of people so a lot of People that come into our place, they will be referred from other services. So it mm. might be from detox or places in the community or whatever, but they feel that they're they're ready and in a place to come into treatment. But I, I I I really do understand it because it, it is quite an intense environment. It's quite a difficult place in some ways. It it it's that's why it works as well. I'd say, you know, it's difficult but but it works. But um for you need to be kind of grounded enough in yourself in Mm. in in order to be able to take on that task of like you know coming into a residential setting for for three and a half months so Mm. it it it, uh, i do understand why we do have that criteria you know
0: and i think as well the pharmacology of the the drugs leaving your system too you don't want that in in your body when you go into treatment because it's as you say the challenge and then you know the change is new to you and then to have that kind of withdrawals as well is that, really difficult That for is individual. such a good
1: point as well. I'm really glad that you raised that as well because we even find, with all drugs, particularly cocaine, which is really prevalent at the moment as well, it, it, it's that period as, as well. There, there is a thing that it's, you need to have it out of your system for a little while for things to kind of get back down, particularly even just around your mind and thoughts and racing and, and physical symptoms. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. So I'm glad you raised that. Actually, it's a, that's, a, that's a really good point as
0: well. Yeah. Yeah, just around the referral process um, could you just talk to us a little bit about that how like I know you said that services might refer to you but can you self-refer you know
1: yeah so so p- people can literally just ring in our place themselves and um, we take some really brief details from them names addresses next of kin something like that and we will set up an assessment for them. So the idea of an assessment really is just to see if one uh, our place is what you're looking for um and uh, if it's suitable. So um after Either you you can ring up yourself or a service can make a referral on your behalf. We will contact you directly um, and then we will go through some questions, little stuff around your motivation and things that might get in the way, things that you might find difficult. It goes on for about a half an hour, about 40 minutes. And then from that, when we, we do the assessment uh, it goes to the team and we kind of chat about that assessment and see if it's suitable. Generally speaking, for a lot of people, it, it it can be, um. But we will get back to them and they might set some goals. Some of that might be around linking into community services or, uh, you know, reaching out, getting more supports. There's some might be some very practical things around chasing down medical cards and stuff like that. But mm. um, yeah, it's um. People can ring in themselves, and then they can also get like if they're working with, out in the community, they can make referrals on their behalfs. Does does did that answer your question? Yeah, Is that no, clear did, enough? Yeah. Like yeah, it did. I yeah. just want
0: people to know that it, it doesn't have to be your service. That it can be a family member. It can be anybody who picks up the phone. They can, and
1: they can just ring up. They can just ring up themselves, mm. uh, and we we take it from there. Just so we can have a chat. Sometimes like people can ring up, and it might be a thing. We have pretty good relationships with a lot of the detox centres as well um so a, a lot of the times somebody might ring up they might be in a place that they're really ready for this but they might just they might be for what they might just need a detox support initially mm. so a lot of people can go into a detox initially and then literally come straight into mm. our place afterwards it, because we have such kind of good links with a lot of the the detox centers it's so how,
0: it's how i done it way back in the day yeah saint michael's ward straight to Kilmore. yeah no stop <laughs> straight, straight onto in. the bus yeah <laughs> yeah. so yeah no it's very very interesting and uh, I hope the listeners are hearing that and we will put up a link to and a phone number and all the social media wonderful um, sites so on this podcast to Hoy Park um, just in terms of your day to day stuff can you just uh, talk a little bit about that what, a, a, what it looks like a person might experience yeah. on a day to day when going in
1: so generally speaking, there's kind of the clients are up at around half seven. I think I think it's about half seven. Uh, so they do, would do ch- chores in the morning. So things around tidy in their room. They'll be might be assigned. You know, it might be uh, some of the, the the general keeping the building clean stuff. They'll be they'll be kind of cleaning tasks in the morning. They have a client uh, meeting themselves in the morning uh, where they kind of plan out their days. Um, so I suppose just to kind of come back on that, the group is really important in our place. Like it, it really is there. They, the, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of based on they're in. What, what am I, How am I trying to say this? Like the group contr- is the power of the program. Really, yeah. you know, they take a lot of responsibility. On themselves for how it's run, this chair people, they've different roles in that. They meet themselves uh, in the morning and um, they plan the day out, um, and then generally speaking, what the day looks like in and around there's two groups a day uh, that can be either groups that are focused looking at their behaviours, kind of reflecting more therapeutically on their past, uh, and then there's stuff like this, the gym. Um, there's horticulture, um, there's, there's there's art therapy, so it's kind of more holistic approach around the different type of groups. There's loads of di- loads of different groups, but generally speaking, uh, groups. Uh, and then after six in the evening, it's kind of free time. They can kind of you know do some writing work, they can read books, they can chill out and watch telly. And um, there might be there's you know they might want to ring home on some of the days that's assigned. to think it's Monday and Friday. Uh, so busy. Busy during the day up until around dinner time, which is five. And then six onwards generally is free time. So that's yeah. kind of what so the, the day looks like. So
0: they're kept really structured and busy all day, yeah? Yeah, they're yeah, kept yeah.
1: pre-structured like. Yeah. um. So... Uh, yeah, it's it, it's full on, it, it, it's busy. Now, having said that as well, I, I know a lot of the clients will say that they find the weekends quite difficult, mm. whatever that is less that goes structure. on, less structure like. Mm. But in an, in some ways, that's kind of how the program is planned as well, because although it's really important to you know have structure and keep busy and stuff as well, there is times in life where we do sit around and we are bored and less goes on so it is also about being able to kind of manage that isn't it well if you look Tolerating. at life,
0: from monday to friday we're flat out and then saturday sunday we're sitting around See, you know so it's about it. getting the, the balance on yeah. it isn't it
1: and that, that's really it as well kind of in some ways the, the way the week is structured in some ways reflects life outside mm. doesn't it as well that kind of more busy give you that platform
0: little. for when you go exactly yeah exactly Know yeah. what to do on the weekends yeah. Yeah. i'm going to be less busy yeah here. I need to put things in place.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, about the financial aspect of it, how does that work? Can you just elaborate a little bit on that? So,
1: yeah, it's we ask for, like, a, it's a voluntary contribution of €110 Euro a week. Generally speaking, uh, the majority of the clients that end up in, in our place, it, generally it comes out of their social welfare or may, maybe different kind of disability allowances or whatever that looks like. Um, so, like, we find that... The, the, clients manage on that do you know they the rest anything that's left over in their social welfare sometimes they might need to send money home for different reasons or kind of just toiletries and stuff but everything else is taken care of like they don't cover like the electricity bill or the like heating bills or any of that type of stuff food none of that type of stuff so it is a 110 euro and generally speaking uh, it comes out of your social welfare we have a particular worker marilyn she deals with all of that type of stuff social welfare banks hmm. all of that type of stuff so she knows what she's doing Um so i would hate for anybody to think that money would be a barrier to coming into ourselves and even if it was if if anybody was listening and they were to saying whatever that might be i have pers- like you know i have to pay kind of child support or bills or arrears or whatever that might be you work we, with them. we will work with them, yeah, that's mm. really important for people to know that as well, so yeah. I wouldn't let any that ever be a barrier to somebody thinking that they couldn't come in because mm. they can't afford it because we take case by case basis, you know, yeah
0: very good, yeah, that's really interesting, and that's really uh, important for the listener because there there probably would be that barrier for some people, you know mm. um I suppose as well the the criteria around some of the rules and kind of you know govern what what would that be like let's say for example what would that look like for an individual what would they have to abide boy uh
1: so I, I the first one i'll jump in because i'll hear my manager saying tara i hope you said the thing about visits so i'm going to yeah. jump in and say that now so currently we don't have any in-person visits so that means family members and children so before covid jimmy we would visits used to take place kids would come in on wednesdays and then over the weekends after like for adults it would be after the, fir- the first month um but since covid that stopped yeah so now it's be, it, it's like whatsapp calls people have to friends and family and kids uh so
0: facetime, like, yeah.
1: FaceTime exactly yeah. so you know and i suppose a lot of people would kind of ask that it's like well COVID was like a couple, mm. like two years ago or whatever. And I suppose w- w- what's going on w- with ourselves is it- it's quite interesting for some people. They actually found that kind of distance piece uh, with not kind of s- seeing friends and family and stuff quite beneficial to them. Mm. You know, for some, for some, not so much as well. So just at the moment, uh, our place are kind of doing a bit of a review of that period visits or no visits or stuff but just that for any of any of your listeners that they know that that is a, a very big thing for them to consider mm. that potentially it might be not seeing uh friends or family or children for 14 weeks should they choose to come in so just that they they, they know that really clear other rules is kind of like um so know, it's mixed,
0: isn't it? It's female mixed. and male. Yeah, 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 so yeah, One of the rules would be around relationships. Yeah, thanks. You're, I know, you're I saving know, me, Jimmy. I, nice I, one. I, I've read the book so yeah, many yeah, times. Yeah. The welcome pack, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: So uh, no, you're right. So like you know, obviously, romantic relationships are not. um They're, they're, they're. You know, they're against the, the guidelines in our place, and that's you know, it, it's for really understandable reasons as well. Mm, of course, a lot of the times. You know, if you find yourself in a relationship in treatment, generally speaking, that just feels really good. Mm. And all the other work is much more difficult. So I'm just going to do what feels really good. But it, your treatment stops. Yeah. Nothing else happens. No work takes place. You're just in a relationship. So there's there's, there's no relationship. in in behavior as well. That's it, really, mm. isn't it? And mm. sometimes, like, listen, things can happen in treatment. And very often if people can kind of you know take a step back and kind of explore what it might have meant for them or what went on for them you know we we work with that but um there's no relationships um, so there's no drug use or drug taken yeah
0: on the premises on the premises something like that would that be in an immediate no like no
1: there's, there's, there. there is no there, there there's there's rarely black and white stuff like okay, sometimes great. like around like if there's anybody that is behaving in like a you know like a violent or aggressive a uh, Way sometimes with some stuff like that, it, it can be black and white. Just if, if people are unsafe in our place, yeah, course, then yeah. it's just like not the right place for that person. But generally speaking, there isn't any black or white we want to work with with people we want honesty is just if people can be honest around whatever might have went on for them we mm-hmm. work with that and we encourage it and we are really aware that uh, um people coming into early recovery it's very difficult and they use lots of different behaviors that are going to help them feel quite good uh, but they just mightn't be behaviors escape that we would yeah
0: behaviors to escape aren't they? Yeah.
1: yeah so there uh, they'd be the, the the big ones anyway if you, if you can remember any more from the guidelines in my place jimmy jump in there now and continue to save me on that one but the relationships and the drug taking yeah, anyway they're the I, two major yeah, ones
0: and i think the, the the you know trying to make that space as safe and as comfortable for everybody because you know it, it is a difficult thing you know recovery so if you make the environment and the community as safe as possible i think um that's more beneficial for everybody, staff and uh, yeah. participants. You know,
1: and it, even as you say that, it kind of it, it brings me back to like the the, the culture what you're describing there is what we're trying to foster a culture where people feel safe and can feel supported and accepted and, mm. and, and trust is really important It's as easier well. to
0: open up then isn't it you know?
1: It is You yeah I suppose mm. just, just on your point you were saying what rules are there I suppose if I was to think about that in another way there's no hard and fast rules but there really is about if you're coming into treatment can you, say, can you talk about yourself that'd mm. be an expectation really in ways yeah can I talk about myself and can I kind of give and receive feedback to others Mm. that's kind of like I suppose some of the the the, the philosophy of how we work really as well yeah. so even when you think about that that's quite difficult isn't it like yeah. imagine someone like giving you feedback on yourself or your behaviors and stuff mm. so it can be quite challenging but like people always say when they leave our, our place that the what they took most of was getting kind of learning about themselves and their behaviors and even though it might have been quite difficult at the time to give or receive feedback from others they'll they will always name that as one of the things they benefited most from mm.
0: Um, I suppose as you come up to it, like when people are leaving there, what is the aftercare service that you provide for people after they finish their 14 weeks?
1: So um, the, the, people have loads of different options. Some people come to us, they can come from the country, they come from all different parts of Dublin. We do have an aftercare ourselves, it's associated with Merchants Quay over in uh, Drimna. Uh, and they have it's like a wraparound service so they, they have a, a, an aftercare program and supported housing all in the one the house is based in leak slip um, so many people take that option now as you know sometimes it might be a thing that there just mightn't be any beds at that particular time that this person is is looking to leave so we do find the kind of housing piece a particular challenge at the moment imagine all your listeners w- will understand that but we have a pacific worker lisa um, in our place where she her her, her role uh, is about thinking about and supporting people with their move on options so she'd really have she'd have really good contacts as well with like yourselves, loads of different community supports, housing supports, counselling supports. So whatever that looks like. So if for for people listening to know that you don't come into workplace and just walk out the door after three and a half months, there is a a care plan that you work on with a worker to support you in in after care options and be that housing needs, but also kind of continuing on like with recovery supports and stuff in the in the community. So that is like a really big part of what we do haven't said that you know the the housing piece is really difficult at the moment and there there has been cases where people have gone into the community supports not as much we we find them easier to access um but there has been cases where people have left our place and they've gone into accommodation that hasn't been ideal Mm. you know Mm. it hasn't been ideal and it's interesting because you know two years ago we wouldn't have come up with as many barriers are we, as we are now. And mm. um, so it's, it, it is more difficult. Uh, so for people, we'd, I don't want to sell anybody a dream either, that if they were to come into treatment, that they will be guaranteed kind of, you know, this kind of safe, supportive kind of housing. It, 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 it's always what we aim to get. But we are just finding that things are more difficult.
0: That for, part is mandatory yeah. with that, that one, Yeah, that
1: move on piece as well, particularly. Now, lots of people come, come into us and they already have their accommodation sorted, whatever mm. that looks like, but mm. for people that don't. Um, but uh, you don't just walk out the door after 14 weeks with nothing. It is part of your plan from day one that we think about so aftercare. So you
0: either provide an aftercare service or you will get community reinforcement to provide it. That's, yeah. That that's yeah. exactly
1: it. So yeah. we do have our own one in ways. Yeah. Um but we we give people
0: it, the option, isn't it?
1: exactly yeah Yeah, that's exactly it yeah
0: because that can be a barrier as well for somebody traveling to the aftercare so if they can do it in their own community it's much easier for them as well isn't it
1: and ideally and then for some people it's not ideal for them to return to the family home or return to the community or whatever that might be so exactly yeah so it's done on
0: an individual basis again yeah
1: it's done on an individual basis and it is a really big part of their program as well so for for people to know that as well that we see treatment as just the very first step in recovery, just the very first step. So we do have lots of plans and take time to think about what they're going to do when they leave us.
0: Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Thanks very much, Tara. Um I suppose you've covered a good basis of your of your service, um, but if there's anything that you might want to add before we go, feel free.
1: Um I first used to so I, I'll tell you like a, a little bit of my background. So my background is is counseling and psychotherapy type of stuff. Yeah. And when I originally started to work in high park i found kind of the, the the approach and how they think about things and how they think about people and behaviors was quite different to my initial kind of training and some of my own own experiences and um, so there was a kind of a, a kind of period for me to of adjustment but I, I i really do believe that the the practices and the policies and how high park work with people is like second to none mm. I, I really like it's it, it's really kind of sits kind of really nicely with my own personal philosophy as well and mm. um, I can't speak highly of it enough um, and kind of like the I work with a fantastic team of people that are super skilled at what mm. they do and um, so just if anybody is listening as well that it's like a high park and the policy and philosophy of how it works with people um, and has the methodology and the methodology, yeah. yeah, is like I, 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 I just think it's really brilliant, and mm. um, and that uh, people should, yeah, it, it it will it will be difficult, but you know that's nothing. Go- you know, it's it's good to do difficult things in life mm. as well. I, I do feel that it's good to do things that are it's difficult. More growth in it, isn't it? Absolutely, like mm. it's it's more go- growth. So it's like uh yeah i can't i can't praise it enough really to be honest
0: i know i'll second that because it's a service that i hold dear to me as well and i use a lot of the time as well um especially with 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 people that i work with because i do a lot of referring into it because i believe in the philosophy as well Mm -hmm. and the methodologies that it uses and it is a great service a unique service as Mm -hmm. well um it's kind of a bit of old school but it a lot of new uh, diet stuff that they use as yeah. well which is really good the blend is good mm-hmm. you know um, so yeah fair play to us. keep up the good work keep fighting that fight and there it is if anybody is contemplating recovery or treatment and they want to go to treatment High Park is an option for them and they're listening to this and they think that might be the place they want to go feel free to touch base with us here in the Ballymundo's recovery podcast or High Park we will leave the details at the end of the podcast and I just want to thank you again Tara for coming in uh taking the time out, you your busy schedule. We really appreciate you Um so thanks very much. I hope the listeners get something else. Oh
1: lovely. Thanks very much Jimmy
0: This is Josh's story.
2: Hi, my name is Josh. I grew up in Ballymoon, born and bred. I had a great family background. My mother worked and my father worked. My father worked in the building game and we had a lot more things than other people had in Ballymoon. Life was good. I don't really have any complaints about my childhood up until I was 13. When my mother passed away she was 34 she took a massive heart attack i suppose just before she died i was dabbling a little bit in alcohol and mushrooms i'd say it could have been about six months before she died when she passed away the whole family was turned upside down my father is an alcoholic and has been in recovery for a while his alcoholism started before that but the madness started when my mother passed away he started drinking really heavy There was a few of us in the family and I was the eldest. A couple of my siblings went to live with my grandmother and aunt. I stayed around and I could do what I wanted because the old fella was out drinking so I could really do what I wanted in the house. When I was 14 or 15 I was going out drinking cans and smoking hash and basically getting into a lot of trouble. I think my mother was probably dead a year and my old fella fucked me out. I was getting into a lot of trouble with the police, I was running amok, rebelling. I suppose because of the fact that my mother passed away and I couldn't deal with what was going on. From then on the alcohol, hash, mushrooms snowballed and I started dealing with a lot more. I was taking a lot more alcohol, a lot more drugs and a lot more frequently. I left the house where my father said I had to go. I went to live in town with my mother's family. I went from there back to Ballymun and from there to another part of Dublin. I was homeless. I was in a different aunt's house and that went on for about a year. I moved in with a friend of mine in Ballymun, and things progressed from there. I started taking ecstasy as the rave scene came around in the early 90s. I found ecstasy. I absolutely loved it. Going out raving, not a care in the world. I was working at the time too. I woke to get my money for the weekend. There was a nightclub in town, and I was going there when I was about 16, nearly 17, before I started smoking heroin. I started smoking it i to come down after taking ecstasy, then I stopped taking ecstasy. I stopped going out and I continued on with the heroin. When I was 16 or 17, and I was still going around, bouncing from house to house, back to my father, back to my friend's house, into my aunt's in town, I never really had a stable home. I was 18 when I ended up in a methadone clinic. Through all of this I walked. When I say I walked, I was there more or less to get a few bob to pay for my drug habit, basically. I don't know how many jobs I had. I started as an apprenticeship, as an electrician, as a plumber. Probably got about six months out of each of them. I was using pretty heavy drugs at that stage. Then I started in the kitchen game, fitting kitchens. And from the age of 18 up to maybe 30, I was working in this place, driving the van stones, trying to get from job to the methadone clinic to get my methadone without the boss knowing. I was getting into trouble with the police, getting involved in crime here and there, and my life was quite unmanageable. I was just all over the place, and I still hadn't got a stable home. In my thirties, my drug use had got really, really bad. I lost the job again. I had no way of getting money. I started injecting heroin and cocaine, and I met a girl at the time. She wasn't on drugs, and she got pregnant, and throughout all that, I was still using. I didn't care about anyone else. I wasn't seeing my family. I just wanted to use drugs. I just wanted to use heroin, and at that stage, I was doing crack as well. I tried to go to Liverpool to get clean and I brought two bottles of methadone with me and tablets. When I got to Liverpool I ended up going into a crack house for six weeks and nearly died. I was in Liverpool, no money and no way of getting home. I had to ring my dad to ask could he help me out and get me home and he sent over some money for me to get the plane home. I ended up getting the boat and spent the rest of the money on crack. So for the whole period of my life I was just absolute carnage going around. I had my family living in fear I was going to die I was in car crashes and getting arrested I was coming to an end My body was destroyed I was thin, I had nowhere to live with this girl and she was pregnant I had a prison sentence hanging over my head and had a little baby on the way and I was in my early thirties I would pray to my ma I lived with my grandmother for a while and I prayed to her I really, really didn't want to use drugs anymore. I wanted to stop because I knew I was going to die if I continued to use. I thought I was going to catch a disease. I didn't care who I used with. I didn't care where I used. I cried a few times and I got down on my knees and cried out, please help me if there's anyone out there. Please help me because I'm going to die. I got in touch with a treatment center. I was on 80 mils of methadone. I used drugs when I got money. I had absolutely nothing. It was basically the methadone and the tablets I was using and I got in touch with Killmine through a friend of mine who was in recovery basically asked him for help. I said I need to get into treatment and I tried so many times in my mind to get clean. I would say I'm finished tonight, tomorrow I'm stopping and that went on for years. I'm stopping, I'm stopping, I'm stopping and I really wanted to but I just couldn't. I hadn't got the power to stop. I didn't realise how strong this disease is. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed to be taken out of society and put somewhere to detox. I got in touch with Kilmine and the pre-entry for Kilmine was probably the hardest. I had to go and give clean your I couldn't do it. There was either Valium or Zimofan or smoking a bit of crack. This was going on for weeks and weeks and finally I got clean and it was over the mill. I needed another two more and I eventually got them and went to Kilmine. My partner was four or five months pregnant and I started a detox in Kilmoyne and I was still on five mils of methadone every three days, cut down from 30 mils. The way I was using and the hectic way I lived, I couldn't let it go. It was killing me and I said I can't do this. I was going to meetings in Kilmoyne, I was going to NA, the 30 mils went quite quick, I was coming off Zimafen, I was coming off Valium, crack, heroin, I was injecting coke and I was off all that sort of stuff, and my mind was destroyed. I think for the first four or five weeks in the treatment centre, every day I wanted to live, every single day, I thought, I can't do this, I can't do this. But I didn't have anywhere to go. Nobody wanted me, nobody wanted no, because they had heard it all before. People thought, he won't do it, he will be back. It was my second time in treatment. When I was 21, I went to Merchant's Key, but I wasn't ready, I was still using it. I wasn't finished and I did it for everybody else and I think I lasted two weeks this time. I didn't have anywhere to go. Nobody wanted me at home. Nobody trusted me. I was in the treatment centre when my little girl was born early so she was a little dope. I was going from treatment centre to the hospital and I stayed clean. I did the detox. I didn't sleep for weeks. When I look back at it now, it wasn't that bad but at the time it was horrific. I kept saying, I can't do this. I won't be able to do it. But anyway, my little girl was born in hospital, and looking at her, I realised I needed to change. I needed to do something, because I have a little person here that's depending on me to run her life. I was going up and down from Kilmine, so I completed the fourth phase of Kilmine. I went into the second phase, which is where you were outside the treatment centre, and that's where it's a bit dodgy for you. I had forgotten all about the pain, all the misery I had caused, and decided it would be a good idea to drink. I didn't realise every time I drank, I ended up taking drugs. Every single time, the first bottle, the first point, I would think about getting coke or heroin. Kill them I never actually found out. It was like a game. I was scamming them and they never knew, but they had their suspicions. In the second phase, I was going downhill pretty rapid. I drank and I wouldn't have to give a urine until the following Thursday. I would try to get around it, but I ended up going to court and I got four years in prison with two years suspended. I was never in prison before, I was in custody a couple of times, but prison was a different ball game. I went in clean, when I say I went in clean, I was having the odd dabble of drink and stuff like that before I went in. I went in and I wasn't going to be sick. Fear alone kept me clean in there. When I was there I saw people getting caught up with blades and all sorts of our tablets, so I kept my head down for the first few weeks and then my mind started to say, you'll be alright to take a couple of pills. The addict crept back in again, and I remember being out in the yard after taking a few Valium and a couple of sleeping tablets. I was out in the yard and going back to my cell. I said, Roy, I can't do this. I had a little taste of recovery. I had a little taste of being clean, and I knew if I started taking these things again, I'm gone. There would be no hope for me. I still will end up getting a scar in prison or dying. I met a fella in prison, and thank God I met this man. I was sitting out in the yard. I knew him from Ballymoon years ago and we got talking. I told him my story about treatment and he says, I will get you a job in the prison bakery. So I went to work in the bakery shortly after that. It was the best thing I ever did. There was a great bunch of lads down there. They were into their training, their fitness. I stayed clean, gave up the cigarettes and I was running, I was boxing. I was really, really looking after myself. But I was sheltered when I was in there, like a cocoon. I think I did fourteen months and I got out of prison. I was really fit, not smoking, drug free. I went home to my partner and my little girl and it was about a week with the greatest of intentions to stay clean and my sister had a little party to welcome me home. I will never forget the party. Everyone there was saying I was looking great. He's doing this, he's doing that and I thought it would be alright to have a bottle of beer. I had two bottles and I forgot about my little girl. I forgot about my sister. I forgot about my partner and he ended up in a house in Ballymun for three days, smoking crack and heroin. I was in a mess and after three days of it, I remember going to the bathroom, looking in the mirror and I broke down crying. I said, please, somebody help me. I continued using for the next few hours, but something happened. I don't know what happened to me. I had something inside of me that said, I don't want to use anymore. I really don't want to use anymore. After three days in this house, my partner, with our our little our little girl, said she didn't want me back at home and my dad didn't want me back. I went to live in a place that my probation officer got for me and I went in there nearly 10 years ago and the whole house was using drugs. There were 14 people in the house and I said, I'm fucking done. That was on the Sunday and I went to my first meeting on the Tuesday. I spilled my guts. I told everybody what was going on and that I wanted to stay clean. From the first meeting on the Tuesday, which is an AA meeting, I then went to a CA meeting the following Sunday. I got a sponsor and I stayed drug free for nearly three years. I started a 12 steps program. I got a month clean, got three months clean, six months clean. I got my daughter back in my life and I just started to grow. I got a little job. I did a day program in Solche. I stayed in Solche for about six months. The best thing I ever did. I did a bit of counseling in Solche and all my life just transformed. I would have went back to prison or died if I hadn't gone to my first meeting in the House. I continued to go to meetings. I got four or five meetings a week at the start. I finished the 12 steps. I started putting my hand up at meetings for sponsors to bring others through the steps and I brought a few people through the steps. I kept going, I got a job and when I was working away didn't think I needed as many meetings at the time. I started taking my daughter more. In recovery I had my ups and downs. I was about two years in recovery when one of my siblings came to me about a problem with sulfidine and norepinephrine plus. I ended up bringing my sibling to a treatment centre but sadly died of alcohol poisoning last year. That's just some of the struggles I've had in recovery that I've had to deal with. I have lost a couple of aunts that I was close to with addiction. Some, sometimes life is hard but recovery can be hard as well. You have to find a balance in work, and meetings, with family and that's really hard to do. At times you just feel like you're getting torn. Too many meetings, too much work... You're with your family so much that that's the struggles I have at the minute. My life is absolutely amazing since I have come into recovery. I got engaged four years ago. My little girl's making her confirmation next year. I have a great relationship with my family. I have a good relationship with my father. But he is back drinking really heavy and I am powerless over him. I can't help him at the minute. I am too close for comfort with him and he knows. He was in recovery for a while in CA. He was a secretary for the meetings and he was doing really well. But again, like my sibling, he went back to drinking and he thought, I can control this. I know he can't. Drink is a drug, but my life today is really amazing. The things I have now, like I started my own business, got a taxi license, these are all things I would never do because I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die in the methadone clinic, basically. Growing up in Ballymun, you have this expectation of yourself that you're only going to go so far. When drugs are involved, you have no self-esteem whatsoever. My life today is that I have my ups and downs. I get tired from the building game, but I am happy. I go away on a few holidays. I get a couple of meetings when I can. I try to help anybody, anybody that asks, or even if they don't ask, but are interested in going to a meeting with me. If you don't want to go with me, I will tell you where there is a meeting on. I just try and live my life and try and stay out of all the drama. What I am trying to say is if I can get clean, anybody can get clean. The way I did it was by doing a detox in a treatment centre and a follow-up that was meetings, sponsorships and basically looking after myself. That's what kept me clean. I'm 10 years clean in January, I never thought I would get a day and if you ask anybody that knows me, they thought I'd never get a day either. Miracles do happen and if you stick around, be honest and stay around with the right people and you will have an amazing life and I promise you that.